For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It's time to awaken an entire nation. I'll be a dog till I die. Between the hedges, look it fly. 90,000 in the stands, I'ma do my dance, make it look fine. Coach, put me in the game. UGA, yeah, the name. Yeah, the offense gonna turn up, but the defense gonna win us the game. Here's your host, Corey Burton. Welcome into a very special edition of the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. I'm your host, Corey Burton. Got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Believe in Dogs, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all three of those. Give us some feedback. Um, and we're available wherever you can find your podcast. So make sure you subscribe and rate us there. So. Uh, on this very special Friday edition, we caught up with Dane Young from UGASports.com. Uh, the SEC came down with a very important announcement. They moved to a 10-game conference-only schedule. So I wanted to catch up with Dane from UGA Sports to kind of, uh, not kind of, but wanted to discuss um, all the possibilities of what UGA is facing uh, with this 10-game conference-only schedule. So um, without further ado, um, here's Dane Young from UJSports.com. Enjoy and go dogs. Welcome into another edition of the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. Joining me for a second time, I don't know if he likes the show or if he's a glutton for punishment, but is Dane Young from UJSports.com. Dane, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again, Corey. Well, Dane, there was some big, big news uh, coming down from the SEC uh, earlier this afternoon as we record on a Thursday. Uh, the SEC announcing much to uh, much to my surprise, I thought they were going to go with the ten plus one model, um, but they went with a ten game conference only schedule, uh, leaving the uh, some of the in state rivalries with the ACC um, unplayed. So, Dave, do you think the SEC made the right move here? The best thing I think the SEC did because I can see it both ways: the ten plus one or the ten game conference schedule. I think you could go either way on that because, like for Georgia's case, would playing Georgia Tech be any more safe or less safe than the 10 conference games are going to play? Really don't think so. So it's more of just uh, a prerogative on that point. I think the smartest thing the SEC did was push back the season three weeks to start in late September because what that allows the SEC to do is to look at conferences. And in the case of like Oklahoma, where they actually – moved the game up to week zero to play in late August. And so the SEC is going to have almost a full month worth of information and data to make really proper calls and information once students 
campus, once the NFL gets going and we see how teams can handle football. I just think that the SEC put itself in a really smart position that if, let's just say everything went as awful as it possibly could, the SEC will probably look a little bit better optics-wise than some of the other conferences that are pushing forward just a little bit faster. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's always important just to kind of get a good plan. I think it gives us a better, I think it gives the SEC, I say us, the, the SEC a, a better chance of having uh, fans in the stands. Well, and you know, you think uh, Georgia versus Florida, that's likely to still happen in Jacksonville from at least what we're hearing over at UGASports.com. And I think Greg McGarrity said as much that as of now, uh, Georgia versus Florida would be in Jacksonville in the instance that the Jacksonville Jaguars have fans in the stands. Why would there not be fans in the stands for Georgia versus Florida? Now, I'm, I'm not assuming it'll be a full stadium, but even if it's 25%, uh, that'd be a really cool experience for some Georgia students that are going to have uh, quite the strange semester ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, they announced for the Jaguars that the TIAA Bank Stadium was going to be 25% capacity. So I imagine they would do that for any event um, in the stadium. So, uh, it was it was speculated that it could possibly go to a home and home with Florida, but I think McGarity had uh, nipped that in the bud. What's so the rest of the schedule, from from what I understand, and this is all speculation because nothing has been officially announced on the schedule, but uh, they would maintain the current conference schedule with the uh, permanent crossover, uh, the already scheduled crossover, and the Eastern and Western Division games for for each for each team. Um, what is the speculation on Georgia's side? Who do they who are the two additional games that we're looking at picking up from the West? Yeah, so like you said, you're going to have your Eastern opponents. Everyone knows those six games and who they're against. Uh, the permanent opponent for Georgia is always Auburn. The rotational one set for 2020 is Alabama. And if they maintained the order of the schedule, which I don't think that they will, that would be the opener for Georgia and Alabama in that case. Yeah, that's be a week. It'd be a week later than it was scheduled to be, but yeah. Uh, that's the opener. Oh boy! Oh, that's a uh, that's not an easy task uh, to open up on the road at Alabama with a brand new offense, brand new quarterback. So, um, so looking like we're picking up Mississippi State and Arkansas if things go the way I think they're going to go. Man, that would be a uh, that would be we would catch a break there. Well, especially when you consider uh, Georgia's probably the the team in the east that's the next highest contender is usually florida at least in recent years mm -hmm. and in this case that the cross division opponents for the next two seasons would just be pushed forward um, based on the plans the sec already has georgia would be picking up arkansas and mississippi state and florida would be picking up alabama and texas a&m now that's a little bit luck of the draw for georgia i would say because florida i don't think is quite as talented as georgia but when you start adding a difficult schedule like that and yeah they wouldn't have to play auburn but florida does have to play lsu so i think it would get really difficult for the gators at that point absolutely and, and it's just again luck of the draw but you know there's been a lot of different models speculated i mean you know i think you you alluded to earlier that there was a slight chance that well, is there a slight chance that they could just blow the whole thing up and, and redo the schedule completely? Well, I think the, I think the first question is, all right, even if they go with the, the, the 10 games or just the plus two from the next two seasons, so in Georgia's case, adding Mississippi State and Arkansas, the first question then I have is in what order does that happen? Because a lot of the dates on the schedule, because of being pushed back for the first three weeks, are already getting shifted by that point in the conference. Mm -hmm. So what would that look like in terms of the order that those games come in? 
Uh, and then, it, frankly, the, the other scenario is if they just say, out of hell with it with the schedule this year, we're just going to come up with something that works best in terms of safety, in terms of competition. I think that puts the SEC in a spot where they're going to draw a lot of ire if they do that because I just don't know the criteria on which you make those decisions uh, when it comes to strength of schedule uh, or travel. Because, I mean, look, if Georgia's traveling to Missouri, then Georgia could travel anywhere in the conference because it'd be the same at that point. Yeah, I mean, that's their that would be their longest road trip, So uh, save Texas A&M. So they could definitely travel to South Carolina – they could definitely travel to Vanderbilt, Kentucky, where wherever they were already scheduled to travel to, and definitely Jacksonville, because none of those trips are even half the distance that Missouri is. So, um, I I think maybe you look at home and away uh, splits, maybe changing some of the order of the games just so you get a good proper split of home and away. Yeah, I, I think you might see some of that a little bit. I mean, you would still have the same if the order changes, just so you're not playing four you know, in a row on the road, potentially, if, it, if that's the way that it fell. The good thing about the way the SEC does with the uh, cross-divisional rotational teams is that I, I think in this case it would be um, at Arkansas and the Mississippi State at home. I may have that reversed. But either way, one would be on the road, one would be at home. Uh, and that's the case for every team in the conference, just on the rotational side of it. Which, by the way, if those are the two, yes, that's, that's a great draw for Georgia in terms of just matchups. But it's also two really interesting matchups when you look at Sam Pittman leading a team against Georgia or Mike Leach, who we all love just because he's a little crazy. But, you know, Mike Leach gets more out of teams than almost any coach in college football. So I wouldn't count those as like the easiest games in the world. And that's why a 10-game SEC schedule – it, it might open up some opportunities down the road of saying maybe we should consider more of this and less of playing the state. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think the fans are going to love it, man. It, it doesn't matter if, if Arkansas is playing Vanderbilt. I think fans are going to love it. Sam Pittman, I think, is going to do a tremendous job as, as a sidebar over at Arkansas. Not many people are giving him credit. And then we all know what Mike Leach brings to the table. So those will be fun games to – preview um down the road with the with the air raid offense and i think sec fans are going to get, get a really good solid uh introduction to the air raid and i and i for one i'm glad that the egg bowl is going to play uh, oh my gosh yes because i want to see kiffin versus versus leach and it's going to be awesome. look if the sec wants to get crazy i'm a fan of 10 egg bowls just do it every week i mean that would just be phenomenal Yes, I mean just to see just to see the daily uh, Twitter battles going on between those two leading up to the games would be would be hilarious and entertaining and fun and whatever other adjective you want to throw out there. So, um, so let's you know what what does that do you know in terms of depth for Georgia? Um, it's got to play an advantage, right, with this ten uh, game gauntlet. Yeah, I mean, the more depth you have, especially in a season where you didn't get the spring practice that you normally would, even your summer workouts were stymied in some ways. Uh, there are a lot of guys still playing catch up all over the country uh, in terms of their fitness, in terms of, uh, you know, where they are mentally and what they know in the game. You look at a team like Georgia and you have to think the offense is going to be playing catch up until they get on the field, just because how much time has Todd Munkin spent with Jamie Newman on a football field? It's still extremely limited. Uh, if barely at all at this point and you know you're talking games coming up here in uh, as we record this uh what two months from, from 
from right now uh, as, as the season gets pushed back. That is not a lot of time for, I mean, mm-hmm. you coach, you know how much that quarterback and offensive coordinator relationship has to build. Um, and they're both accomplished. They both have been around football a long time. It's still a large ask, I think. Um, but, you know, like I told you on this episode, I'm as high on Jamie Newman as one can be. So I think it's helpful to have his leadership uh, with Georgia right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how does that affect training camp? Is that with, with the date being pushed back to September 26th, is that push back training camp or do we, or does Georgia just have basically an extended training camp starting at the beginning of August? Yeah, I think that's a question that the NCAA is going to have to decide what works best here because then would the SEC teams have an inherent advantage for having three extra weeks of practice at that point? But if other teams are also practicing, I would think Georgia would just get to practice as normal, right? It's just, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Georgia's not back time to that first game like every other team would be. Uh, But this is a crazy year. The NCAA is going to have to make some swift decisions on who can practice when, you know, how – uh, to what degree, and, and they've already had to kind of do that with some voluntary workouts. I do the air quotes on that always because uh, <laughs> someone's telling them what to do, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be varied. Um, but, you know, the most time that they can get together, they're going to take advantage of it for sure. So speaking of, quote, voluntary workouts where the coaches definitely aren't telling them what to do and they're not giving them scripts to to run and – uh, things, specific drills and uh, things they want to see. Uh, anything standing out or, is, or can you tell anything from voluntary workouts? A- anybody surprising, you know, all of the above? You know, you try to just look at how a player's bodies look or just the information that we can gather. Uh, you know, Jamari Salyer looks like he's in excellent, tremendous shape to be George's best offensive lineman. I don't think that there was going to be a doubt that he would be ready, but it seems like he's really put on um, – the positive weight while also losing a little bit of the bad weight, which is always what you want with an offensive lineman. Uh, I do get scared sometimes when you hear of offensive linemen losing uh, a lot of weight in the off season, because I'm thinking, man, that's how you get injured in the sec is when you're a little too small. That's not the case with Salyer, but um, that's one that stuck out to me. I mean, you still see Nolan Smith every now and again, you know, briefly in a highlight video, just running and his footwork and he just looks like the prototypical athlete that any coach wants so it's hard to ascertain a lot right now just because I mean coaches have barely seen these guys work out um, or at least to the extent that they would like to so much less media members have we heard anything about James Cook and any indication of how he might be used or any hints of how how he might be used other than being a running back I've heard some rumors that he may have bulked up a little bit more, which is not surprising just considering, uh, you know, how his brother looks. Uh, and I don't think he's Dalvin Cook big at this point. But, um, you know, the thing that I've also heard is that when you look at how Todd Munkin used Ito at Southern Miss the last time that he was in college, that that's probably a pretty good indicator of what he would want to do with James Cook. Now, does that work out with how Kirby Smart wants an offer? We'll have to see. Uh, and we'll have to see what George's depth at running back. I, I think that's a concern 
that Georgia fans may not be looking at very much just because Georgia is one of the running back used in the country. Uh, but there is not a lot of proven experience at running back for Georgia. I think we all agree that Zamir White looked great in the Sugar Bowl. I think we all agree that James Cook has a ton of potential and probably hasn't touched the ball enough. That Kenny McIntosh looked good in the reps that he got. And the two great true freshmen are coming in to have a chance to contribute. Uh, but there's not a DeAndre Swift or Nick Chubb or Sony Michelle returning to this roster this year. Uh, at least in terms of proven experience. And that's a little scary. It is. I mean, you know, you can't replace experience. You can't replace production. So they're going to have to get creative, and uh, they might have to take a more committee approach. Would, would that be a fair assessment? Well, I mean, I, I think the depth itself may kind of dictate that. I mean, I think Kenny McIntosh is such a good, smooth, uh, swift football player that – I don't know how much you can keep him off the field. I mean, you kind of saw similar things from Brian Herring, right? And, and yeah. McIntosh is bigger than, than Herring in terms of running between the tackles. But even with the depth that Georgia had at running back, Herring was going to find a way to get on the field and contribute. And I think that may be the case this year as well, that, that kind of sentiment. Have we heard anything from the, the wide receivers? Any, any progress there with Blaylock, Kyrus Jackson? Uh, any progress with Burton and Rosemey as far as the freshmen go? Uh, the question we get at UGASports.com a lot is, uh, is Don Blaylock going to be back from his ACL injury? And all indications are is that he is back, ready to go, 100%, which is uh, quite phenomenal if you think about when that injury occurred uh, in the SEC championship. That's a, that shows you how far uh, sports and medical science have come on those kind of injuries. Because even, man, when I was a kid, I feel like that was going to take you out for a year and a half. Uh, and, you know, for some people, if it was severe enough, it would be a career ending injury yeah like um, Nick Chubb's injury when he when he tore his ACL I thought okay two years I mean he may never be the same at UGA and he may not you know he may get a uh, free agent deal in the NFL now and, and try to have to bounce back but my god yeah he, that guy just is a physical freak yeah and now he's just you know one of the best five running backs in the NFL <laughs> just yeah even no, on no the Cleveland deal. Browns yeah no big deal right but I, I thought the I thought the number one question y'all got on the dog vent was um, what time is the dog walk yeah, we get that. We get stuff about uh, ice at concession stands. We get stuff about Greg McGarrity. Uh, the doo-doo ice. <laughs> I love the doo-doo ice. Uh, but yeah. hey, you know, Corey, there was one thing about the scheduling that I wanted to mention that I thought was interesting because over the yeah. last, I would say, few weeks, maybe even months, the thing that you've heard from these uh, athletic directors and even the conference commissioners is we're all working well together. We're working hand in hand to make sure that we're going to do this the right way. I don't see any evidence of coordination from any of these leagues whatsoever. Uh, it, Not it's a chance. It, it's frustrating in some ways. It's entertaining in some ways too, just yeah. because college football is so unorganized. It's uh, everyone's out for themselves. It's so selfish and, and personal. Um, the ACC was ready to play these games against Georgia and Florida, uh, South Carolina and Kentucky. And the SEC comes back the next day and says, nah, we're good. Uh, we're good. It's, it's so petty. It's so uh, – it, it, it's it's one reason I think the sport's entertaining is because yeah. it is so dysfunctional. But, man, they threw all this PR at us and once again did not back it up with action. Yeah, at one point I think uh, y'all were kicking around on the boards and I thought about I thought about calling you then and, and, and talking about Big 12 ACC, SEC possibilities. Like those three were going to be – uh, a trio of, of union going against uh, everything that the Big Ten and Pac-12 stood for with their conference-only schedules, but my, how things have changed. But 
Well, think yeah. about the, the position this puts Georgia Tech in, right? Sorry, they're probably planning with that one game that the ACC requires to be against a team in the state of the member school of the ACC. So Georgia Tech can only play a team out of conference in the state of Georgia, assuming that would have been UGA. Well, the next day, they're probably having to call Georgia Southern, call Georgia State, Kennesaw State, Mercer, whoever would be able to play a game at that point. West Georgia. <laughs> yeah, might- and, and, and then the funny thing is, like, how did Notre Dame weasel their way into the ACC for the year? And how did that affect what the SEC did? Because I think there's some feelings hurt by how Notre Dame got some preferential treatment. Uh, I think so. I mean, that that's just, that just out of nowhere. Like, they just kind of slid in the, the side door there and just kind of weaseled their way in. Now they're eligible for an ACC championship after all of that talk. We're not going to join a conference. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and can you imagine if Notre Dame wins the ACC? And then never has a chance to defend it. That would be that would be probably the most Notre Dame thing they could ever do. And ACC and college football. And I mean, college, at that, yeah. at uh, that, that point, would, like you got to just return until you lose, right? Exactly. I mean, Clemson's in there and it's Trevor Lawrence, so you don't think it would happen. But still, yeah. your mind. I mean, Notre Dame's not a bad team. <laughs> they're not a bad program. Yeah, but I you, mean, they're a good team, and I would say Clemson's schedule just got more difficult because of a pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who would have thought that? Um, but the, I guess they pick up South Carolina State out of conference. So that's, you know, that's something. To, or or Charleston Southern. Or, I was trying to think of some of these, like, who else is in South Carolina? Or I was thinking, who else, who could Boston College play in Massachusetts? And the only thing I could come up with was UMass. Yeah. Um, you know, South Carolina could, or in South Carolina, you have Furman, uh, South Carolina State, Charleston Southern. And that's it that they could play because obviously uh, the Gamecocks are out. So, um, well, okay. So in that case, Clemson needs to play an all-star team of those three teams and then still beat them by sixty in the first quarter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this gets fun. Who does Syracuse play? Buffalo. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I guess they play Buffalo. That'd be a good. That'd be a nice little game. Oh, that should be an annual rivalry, really. Yeah, right down the road. Be a bitter rivalry. And, you know, I thought, like, with the North Carolina schools run out of teams to play because you're looking at Duke, NC State, UNC, Wake Forest. Are, all, are they going to play the same team? I guess they all just pass around East Carolina. Or App State. Or App State. <laughs> App State will beat half of them. Yeah, they probably will. Everybody's scared of App State. So what, what does all this mean for, like, the, the smaller conferences, the group of five conferences? What do you think this does to them? Uh, financially, it hurts them a ton. I mean, look at a team like Louisiana Monroe that uh, was set to come to Athens with a, a decent team, I would say, by Sunbelt standards, with a really good running back that I covered in high school when I was sports director uh, in Columbus, Georgia. He was at Opelika, and he was with uh, Jake Bentley when they were together. Wow. Uh, his name's uh, Josh Johnson, really good player. And uh, they're not going to get to come to Athens and have that experience anymore, which is sad for those players because you know, they don't get to go to big-time college football, at least on that level quite often financially it's going to be quite a hit and and now you get the lawyers involved like all right what does the contract say about who gets owed what money how much of it has to be fulfilled because i can guarantee you these sec institutions they don't want to make these payouts not during a pandemic no not not when your pocketbooks i mean that's going to affect the way like some of these coaches that are on the hot seat you got to think that some of these buyouts they're not these schools aren't going to pay these buyouts and they're probably going to get a free free year to kind of you know, free of the hot seat. You know, and, and just a few years ago, we were talking, you know, $400,000 to a team, but 
I want to say Xana Monroe is more like a million and a half. I mean, this is a, a big chunk of an athletic budget uh, that these teams are able to get now just because of the TV dollars that yeah. the SEC can get. And, and, you know, that's another reason that I think some of the conference-only stuff may have happened. That's going to be – you're talking two additional games per week that's SEC-only. That's going to be really nice for some TV networks to get some advertising dollars for. Yeah, because you know that you know there's going to be an entire region of the country's eyes only on your on your game. So that'll be, you know, you'll you'll start to see like, I think with these group of five teams, you know, you'll start to see like Tuesday night football or Wednesday. Night, they're going to try to get these games ex- on exclusive nights where nobody else is playing. Like the MAC has been forward thinking for years doing Wednesday night football. I mean, the Sun Belt's been doing it in recent years. I want to say that Georgia Southern and Appalachian State, which is a really good rivalry between two story teams, I want to say that's been on a Thursday for the past three or four years. Which yes, it has been. You're uh, right. It, it's kind of funky uh, when you think yeah. about you know the the fan bases that those two teams have. You would yeah. think that would deserve a Saturday night slot, but uh, that's prime time for uh, for for Sun Belt eyes. Yeah, I mean, that's I think I think it's smart. You know, you, you have like Wednesday night matching. I mean, they can market that. You know. It's it's pretty good. So I, I think I think if they can if they can successfully market Australian rules football here in the in the in the United States, I, I think they're doing a, Fox Sports One is doing a good job. <laughs> you ask me what I think is going to happen. I think this year it's mostly weather the storm and just hope that everything normalizes for next year. Yeah. Um, in terms of scheduling and and finances for this, but I'm a bit of a, a sports maverick or or a rebel when it comes to tradition and things. And <laughs> during this pandemic, I've I really jumped headfirst into European soccer and I am now just fascinated with the idea of relegation and uh, promotion. Oh and so, yes. Yes. So, so my dream scenario, and, and I don't think this will probably happen in my lifetime, which is really a shame, but my dream scenario is that you have six power conferences and the underneath them you have, we'll call it the group of six. You can bring up some FCS schools. Uh, and, and then underneath that you have the FCS schools. And after underneath that you have division three, um, you know, or, or division two, division three, you know what I'm saying? You have yeah. like four layers of this. And then, you know, in, in the case of last year, Arkansas is the worst team in the SEC. All right. Well, let's say that they have to play the worst team from the East, Arkansas and Vanderbilt. You're playing at noon the day of the SEC championship. Loser goes to the Sun Belt. And then Appalachian State comes up for the next year. Yeah. That would be, you know, I, I've, I've had this discussion numerous times. I haven't broken it down to like pairing conferences, but. My God, that would be talk about pressure. <laughs> like you have you have the relegation game, this you know, preceding in the same stadium as the SEC championship. Like you have it at like noon and then like they clear out and then four hours later here comes like the real champions. Um, but that would be like that would be awesome. And it's I wonder the beauty how long- of the it's the beauty of the system is that you have consequences for losing. And currently you don't, except for maybe a coach gets fired. Yeah, and you change coaches several times, but yeah, I think that's, you know, that's got to be. That how awesome would that be? Like if American sports adopted promotion relegation, I think I mean, you you and I think so. But I'll tell you, there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this that think, oh man, don't be bringing those soccer concepts into my SEC football. And I hear you because oh, I yeah. probably used to be more like that guy. Oh, uh, I definitely uh, was. I after. After jumping headfirst into this stuff, uh, into the Premier League and Bundesliga and Serie A in Italy, oh man, like 
there it's the closest thing fandom wise that I've found to SEC football. And it just so happens I've had, you know, more time in a pandemic to watch it. Uh, and so I've learned a lot and I think, uh, you know, why not kick around some new ideas every now and again? I don't think it'll happen. It's probably too much of a discussion for it, but it, it is my pipe dream. Yeah. Not to, not to turn this into a soccer podcast, but, um, when I, when I first joined rivals, uh, my, uh, my neighbor, my, my desk neighbor was directly beside me. Um, he was a big soccer fan. He's a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Yeah. And he, he kind of like, you know, I was very reluctant, very resistant. And he kind of, he kept like, he wasn't like pushy, pushy with it, but he was, you know, he was definitely trying to like get me interested in soccer. You know, he would watch it. And then uh, another guy I shared the office with, uh, he, he was, he sat like three desks down. Um, he watched a lot and he's an Arsenal fan. And so they just, they just kept, they just kept asking me about it. And they said, okay, Corey, will you come out and uh, we're in this adult league. You got to come out and you got to, you got to play on our team. It was like, well, I said, guys, I have never played a, a lick of a minute, a second of soccer in my entire life. I was like, guys, I actually hate soccer. And so, but reluctantly I did it. And then I got into, then I started, uh, I started, it was like really fun to like play it. You know, it's it, like soccer is one of those games where it's like really fun to play and it's like almost painfully boring to watch most of the time. Um, and I, I played it and I was, I started getting into it. And then I, then I really dove head first. And then I went through the process of, of selecting a team. So I, you know, I think, uh, I, I landed on Everton, uh, because, okay. of, because Solid. of Tim Howard, like I was, yeah. all, I'm always good with my hands. So I, I like, I was always the guy that volunteered to play goalie because nobody else would volunteer to play goalie. And I was like, well, I'm good with my hands and it's the only thing that makes me feel like I'm competent. So I'll, I'll play goalie. And so I, I dove head first into that. Um, and then I picked uh, Everton because of Tim Howard. Uh, and Everton seemed like at the time they were the most American-friendly uh, EPL team. So that's kind of where I landed. And uh, so I got more and more into the sport. Uh, and then I went to a U.S. soccer match uh, when they played. Well, they played. They played one in Nashville against Trinidad, and that was that was a lot of fun because I sat with the American Outlaws and I sat in the middle of those crowds. But then what really locked me in was uh, we took a tr- we took a road trip to Chicago. And we saw another U.S. Uh, World Cup qualifier against Honduras. Oh yeah. Uh, we went to an MLS match the night before the Chicago Fire, um, and then we went to the U.S. game that Saturday night. And you want to talk about partying between the American fans, where we we walked like a mile and a half from the bar that we were tailgating at to with like thousands of other fans. We it, we marched to the match and we're just going crazy. Uh, we met with Honduran fans and talk about talk about not a party like Honduras fans was the closest thing like the closest comparison in the SEC model of Honduran fans was, they were like LSU fans oh wow like they partied and they were nice like they were like they were competitive. They, you know, they were talking their trash, but but you know they're a little crazy too. They're they're a little crazy, and like at any minute they could come unhinged and unglued. But uh, they were. It was so much fun, uh, just just going at it, and then just like in the stadium, you could hear going back and forth, and the U.S. U.S. like pulled away towards the end, and um, Pondurans left. But um, 
Yeah, it's. It, but it, I mean, the, the reason I gravitate to the SEC uh, more, it, SEC specifically, college football as a whole, more than yeah. the NFL, is just the amount of passion that I feel uh, in the stadium there, or mm-hmm. when you're having conversations about the teams. It's just a different level, at least from where I'm from. Maybe if I was from Chicago or New York, it'd be different. Um, but especially across the South, you know, the SEC yeah. is just different when it comes to to passion and energy. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that with a lot of soccer teams, which is uh, yeah. really fun. Like you, you have you have conversations. Like you go to Liverpool, England, um, and all people talk about is Liverpool, Everton, and it's like Alabama, Auburn. There, like you, you got to pick a side, and there's se- and their stadiums are separated by half a mile of a park. <laughs> like seriously, two giant fifty thousand seat stadiums are separated by half mile of like a park, and they're like embedded in these neighborhoods. It's it's insane. Um, whether you like the game of soccer or not, you have to you have to respect everything that goes around it and, and the passion and the fandom, whether you like the game or not. I, I don't care. Um, and and to, to be honest, soccer is kind of a really slow sport. You kind of have to really be passionate about the sport. Um, but like if you if you were to go and watch a soccer game with a bunch of if you were to go watch a Liverpool game with a bunch of Liverpool fans, you would you can't like you can't not watch that game and not get into it. And yeah, so- and I think that like if there's someone trying to get into it, start with Premier League. That's where the best soccer is, at least that I've found. That's where the yeah. most energy of it is. Uh, don't don't start with MLS. And I hate to say that because it is the American League, but it's just not as entertaining at the level of the, of the player's skill set. It, getting- it would be like starting your college football by watching um, Gulf South Conference when the SEC exists. Yeah, exactly. Um, have you picked a team? So people, I did not want to be considered a front runner, but I did pick Manchester United for a couple of reasons. So this has been about a four-year process of friends pushing me in certain directions. They're an American-owned team, so that's not, I mean. They are, and they haven't been as good the last few years. Um, but, you know, historically, Man U is, is kind of like the Yankees of European yeah. soccer. Uh, so I knew that going into it, but it was a World Cup, was it 14? Robbie Van Persie had this just amazing header. Uh, and I was like, whoever that guy plays for, that's going to be my team. There you go. Hey. Uh, and, I, and I selected. Mm-hmm. The, so that was like the first taste of it. And then I walked away for a few years. And then now I came back after some people in my circle uh, kind of pushed it on me. So, yeah. man, you, I recently picked Roma and Serie A. Uh, so we'll see if that works out. Well, at least you didn't pick Juventus. And then, no. uh, and then uh, have you picked anybody in La Liga yet? I haven't picked anyone in La Liga. In Bundesliga, I picked uh, Borussia Dortmund. That seemed like a fun squad. Their fans are incredible. That's what I've heard. They're, it's it's unreal. Uh, I don't really have a Bundesliga team. Um, I really I, – I, it's going to sound like a front runner, but it's true. I really – I just enjoy watching Real Madrid and Barcelona. Just the yeah. way they, the I mean, game. that's where the talent is, so it's a better-looking product. Yeah, and, and I just gravitate towards that. But, you know, not again, not to t- turn this into a soccer. We, we kind of did. That was the surprise of the night. But, uh, hey, yeah. when, when football starts back, that'll never happen, right? Exactly. So uh, I, I guess this world is full of surprises, right? Um, so I'm, I've gotten into Australian rules football. So I, I, I made a tweet the other day. Uh, I said, hey, listen, uh, SEC, if, if this thing uh, doesn't work, we could always play Australian rules football. And I got a bunch of responses of people like man we'd love for you to come come join us and here's some i was like and then i followed it up with like man if i knew if i knew what was going on i would really love this because you want to talk about mayhem it's like it's like you put 22 verse 22 
uh, and then you put the rules of soccer, rugby, and football all in one game. It's insane. I still so which which Georgia player would you most want on that team? Because uh, I would think you want some versatility, but also strength and speed. Yeah, you don't tackle as much because the ball just moves so quickly. So you would probably want all of your DBs and receivers and running backs. Okay. And then a couple of linebackers to sit in the back to defend. So you're probably talking about like LeCount. That's probably the first pick in that draft. Yeah. So you want like LeCount. You would probably want Pickens because Pickens is Pickens has got a little bit of dog in him and he'll he'll fight you. Lewis Seen. Lewis Seen. You definitely want Zamir White. Uh, guys that can like run and, and toss the ball. Um, and then there's there's some kicking involved too. So you'd probably want Jake Camarda. Uh, you would want Jake Cabarna as your striker, the guy that scores all the goals, and you'd want those other guys that that kind of get the ball to him, because you got to like, like with rugby, you run and toss the ball before you get hit, and if you get hit, you have to put the ball down. Um, like I think those guys would be so fast that they wouldn't get hit; they would be so shifty that they could just run. And yeah, then, so if he's healthy, Arian Smith. You would ask about wide receivers. That's one yeah. thing that we've learned uh, in the offseason is that Arian Smith had to have a meniscus uh, – it's a minor surgery, but still had to have it cleaned up. So yeah. between that and I think he had an elbow injury uh, earlier in the spring, he's had a, a bit of a rough couple months trying to get ready for football. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, th- there's a couple of those things. Uh, Darnell Washington had to have a small knee scope that took him out for about three weeks right yeah. in the middle of voluntary workouts. Uh, you'd like to think that – you can probably what happens is those true freshmen come in and, and Ron Corson gets a look at him like, all right, here's, here's a couple of things we can do now that'll prevent injury later. Yeah, exactly. And and I think once they get ingrained into the strength and conditioning program, they, they work those muscles and things like that. And, and that's one thing that I think you're going to see more uh, soft tissue injuries because they haven't been able to work out extensively and, and really build those football muscles up and I think you're going to see a lot of hamstring pulls and growing pulls which is another reason I think the SEC is smart going to September 26th. Do you think that you're going to see more targeting penalties just because players aren't quite as refined as maybe they would have been otherwise? Maybe. I, I think I don't think it'll be as rampant as people may think but I think you'll see a couple more. Um, yeah definitely. Unless they tell them just to kind of hold off but football players aren't good about doing that. No, not at all. It's not the good ones, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I would have to think that Richard LeCount's going to lay into the first guy he sees. I mean, you, these guys have just, I mean, as much as there are health risks involved in, in pretty much any kind of gathering right now, and I think we're aware of that, um, any player that I've seen on social media, they're just like, man, I just want to play. That's what yeah. I do. I play football. I, yeah, I just want to play. I'm, I'm a baller, man. Um, do, you, do, you think, do you think they're going to try out those new face shields? I mean, I would hope that they would at least give it a go to see if it works out. Again, I think this is one of the things for the SEC that it has an inherent advantage in by pushing the season back. Is mm-hmm. all right. You can see if uh, you know if, if Oklahoma's first game that they pushed up. If there's a breakout of of COVID infections uh, for either team in that game, all right. Well, then maybe we need to do some things differently. Or if the NFL uh, comes in and you start seeing some some quirky things happen. Um, you know, you're saying baseball do this. Baseball just announced uh, MLB today that they're going to have double headers that are seven inning games 
just making that change on the fly. There's going to be a lot of changes on the fly for these yeah. sports seasons that are coming back. And so yeah. I think the SEC is trying to get to a spot where they can have the most continuity as possible while also being as safe as possible. Because even in the schedule that, that is built out, there'll be a bye week somewhere in that 10-game span. So you're saying 10 games in 11 weeks. And then there'll also be a bye week between that final week and the SEC championship that would now be on December 19th, which is yeah. kind of odd. Yeah, it is kind of – you're getting so close to Christmas. But I, I guess, like, the final exam schedule will, will probably be pushed up so the, the players won't be in final exams that late because I think Georgia as a university is trying to get everything done, like, by the beginning of December. Yeah, well, and, and there, I think University of South Carolina even pushed up their student schedule so that way when students went home for Thanksgiving, they do not have to go back to campus. Now, I don't know if everyone's going to do it that way. Uh, and it's usually you're talking a week, a week and a half. That's kind of where finals happen. But it is strange that some places academics are being pushed up to avoid holidays, but now football's being pushed back. So I don't really know how that's going to work out. It's going to work out well for the players because they'll be done with everything by the time the most important games happen so you would hope so but but then if the goal of the campus is to clear out by thanksgiving but then you're bringing back football players afterwards uh you know well, well i guess we'll have to see what happens at that point i'm hoping by december that we kind of have a better handle on things but i'm hoping by september 26 we have a better handle on my labor day greg sankey too yeah i mean good lord i mean I, i'm i'm about ready for this whole thing to be handled um, but you know, the, the numbers fluctuate. Uh, I've seen the numbers are getting better some places and you know, it depends on what metric you look at, I guess you know, there's a whole, there's information swirling all around, but, uh, here's an idea, um, that, that was kicked around uh, in my last episode. I had a guy by the name of Ryan Dyrude from, he, he does a believe in LA podcast, LA football podcast. And so I had him on, we talked about Josh or JT Daniels and then, uh, some other things, but, um, he we talked about kicking around the idea of you know once the conference schedules are set and the the playoff is set the college football playoff is set they should do a four team bubble like mm. they, they should make the college football playoff a bubble uh, test everybody make sure everybody's good and then put them in a bubble for like two weeks not and, a terrible idea and then play out play out the games um, that is if everything kind of stays the way or similar to what what it is right now but. Yeah, the other thing that's going to have to be decided, you're talking the normal rule is that a red shirt can happen for a player. They can play four games and still get a red shirt. Will it still be four games even though? Yeah, no. That's – you would think – A team that has better true freshmen has an inherent advantage. Yeah, I, I think so. I It's, a, it's, it's going to be an odd, odd way if they're going to have to modify that or they might just – the NCAA just might say, whatever, we're going to take the L on that. Um, if you get COVID, we'll give you a medical red shirt. And <laughs> whatever, you know. Uh, Clemson's got the advantage on the COVID thing, though, because I think the, half their team got it, like, when they first came back to campus. So LSU, too, right? Didn't they have an outbreak? Yeah, almost LSU immediately. had a big outbreak. Uh, and like, Michigan State had sent, sent people home. Rutgers sent people home. There was a joke I saw on Twitter uh, about Rutgers. They are like, yeah, they're not going to allow more than 500 people in uh, Rutgers Stadium, and some guy tweeted back. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. In times like this, we should not be talking about doubling the crowd. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, I've seen similar jokes about the Miami Marlins since they're the outbreak in, in MLB. It's like, yeah. well, they've never played with fans anyway, so this yeah. is quite comfortable. Georgia Tech has been practicing social distancing for six years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think I saw one fan be like, why is Georgia Tech worried about home games and stuff? Because like Bobby Dodd Stadium, home game for whoever's coming in. Exactly. Same with Vanderbilt. Uh, it's it's more true with Vanderbilt. That's a joke a little bit with Georgia Tech. It, yeah. In some ways it isn't because Georgia does take over, I'd say, about 60%. But when Georgia goes to Vandy, or really anyone, uh, yeah. but if it's Georgia or Alabama going to Vandy, you're looking at like 90% of the crowd is is not gold and black. Exactly. It's I, I go to that game every year because it's local for me. So, um, And it's like like the the few Vandy fans that I see, they're like, they're looking around. They're in awe. They're like, "Whoa, what, what in the, what in the hell?" I um, enjoy going to that. You know, it's a smaller stadium, so it's a bit more intimate. Yeah. I like that because so, yeah. so many of the SEC stadiums are massive and you can't see much. But literally any seat at Vanderbilt Stadium, you got a solid view. Exactly. It's it's a great. There, there's not a bad seat in the house. So, uh, but Dane, uh, I, when the schedule comes out, let's talk. Let's do some. Uh, let's do some. Let's hunker down and do some previews. Yep. Like some some team specific previews. Um, I know I definitely want to get you for for Florida and South Carolina, um, and then we'll 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 go from there and do some of the Western opponents as well. Um, and I'll tell your listeners that uh, Brent Rollins from Pro Football Focus, and he works with us at UGASports.com. Uh, we've got a series going on right now where we're scouting uh, opponents, and so yeah. some of our work is now all for naught because we did do a, a solid scouting report of Virginia and Louisiana Monroe, but yeah. uh, you know we're. Report. We're through uh, Florida on the original schedule right now. Tennessee yeah. – all right, we're through South Carolina, I believe. Uh, Tennessee's coming up next, so we're slowly getting through at least what the original schedule was. And if you want, like, a really good taste on UGASports.com, go find those links, and uh, yeah. I think you'll be impressed with the data and video that we've heard together. So what we're going to do is we're going to give the fans an audio version. So you and Brent are going to come on. You're going to give the audio version breakdown of, of those teams that you uh, that you did. So – um, I think that'll be a good uh, good thing for for Georgia fans and for 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 my listeners and for the people on your board because guess what I'm going to do I'm going to cross promote it you you already know that. Well, I'll give you a sneak peek. Florida secondary uh, between four guys they return over 200 starts. Ooh, all right, that'll be fun. I think that number's right. It's a ton of starts, yeah. but uh, yeah, they're, experience. they're really experienced and and probably the best one is a true sophomore, Kyrie Elam, just tremendous. Yeah. Well, that's a preview, guys. Um, well, Dane, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, I'm glad you picked a soccer team. Um, I'm glad you're into other sports now, too. Uh, you, you got into the world's game. Uh, we turned this into a soccer show, which it's okay by me. But um, we will circle back around, and uh, we'll talk soon. Look forward to it, Corey. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals. If you want to advertise on our show, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. If you want to find us on social media, at Believe in Dogs on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My personal Twitter account is at CoachBurton36, and uh, you can always uh, listen to our show anywhere that you get your podcast. so make sure you rate subscribe, give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. So with that being said, have a great day. Thank you for listening. And as always, go dogs. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.